Again, so the psukim over here in Parashat Kisaitzim um, clearly imply, again, this concept, first of all, of human dignity, as Rashi describes it, the, the Rashi we discussed in the past, um, in 2007. Rashi says here, you know, it's not on your page, I'm going to read it to you. Um, so the language is very strange. The language of the verse says, because God's curse is hanging. What exactly does that mean? See how I can translate that? Um, 22. For a hanging person is a curse of God. Maybe that's how Arskol translates it. So, what does that mean exactly? So, Rashi says like this. Rashi says a fascinating um, parable of Mashal. He says like this. Zulzula Shamalachu. This is a disgrace to the king. King meaning Hashem. Sha'adam Asui Bidmut because a person is created in God's image, in the king's image. The Israel Banav and Jews are his children. Again, is this law only applied to Jews? Most posts can say not. The concept of desecrating a corpse or human dignity applies to everyone. Rashi here happens to mention also in parenthetically that we as Jewish nation are his children. Mashal Shneachim Tumim says because the concept of uh, creating the image of God has nothing to do with Jews per se. Right? That's in Parashat Barashas when God creates Adam. So really, so you see, and it says there, um, he's created in the image of God. So there's nothing you see from there um, that has nothing to do with being Jewish or not Jewish. All um, humans are created in the image of God. So therefore, this would be applicable to all humans. So he says, Mashal Shneachim to Mim, you have two twin brothers. Shayudomans are identical twins. Right, she says, Echad Nasesh Sar. Echad, one becomes a, you know, a upper class uh, politician, there's such a thing. Echad Nitvas Lilistoyes Vinitla. And one um, gets caught, uh, he was a, you know, bank robber. And uh, he goes into the bank robbing business and he gets hung. So Kolaroi also, so they're identical twins. Anyone who sees this guy hanging, Omar Sartali is going to say, look, the, the, the king is hanging. Right? This, this uh, other guy is hanging. So therefore, he's saying similar, us as humans. So it's a very strange parable because obviously I always tell people I hope God doesn't look like me. That's not a good thing. Um, right? So, so what does it mean? That uh, you know, as people are going to say, that they say creating the image of God. So, so obviously, there's a lot more to it, which is, I think, the key concept here, which is that we view our bodies, and this is important before life, after life, um, um, you know, before life. I mean, uh, during life, before death, that we view our bodies since they housed uh, really Tzelam Lokim doesn't mean necessarily we look like God. It means our neshamas, our nefesh is a piece comes from Hashem, is a piece of Hashem, whatever that means, not getting into the Kabbalah, Kabbalistic aspects, but the point is, so it housed our neshama, and therefore we consider the body itself holy to a certain extent, um, um, and therefore you have to treat the body with dignity even after the neshama leaves, so even after death, it didn't change, just like during life, as we discussed which is a basic concept in Jewish medical ethics that really do your bodies don't belong to you. Hashem gave us our bodies in order to fulfill our mission in this, in this world. So therefore, so even after death, it doesn't change. The fact that the neshama left the body doesn't mean we treat our bodies any less um, as far as the, whatever you want to ascribe, the kedusha or, or the, the dignity that they have to be treated. So that's really what is similar. They give a mashal. I saw someone talks about the body they're viewed as like the the mantle of a Sefer Torah. So just like a Sefer Torah, the Sefer Torah is holy. Now you put that uh, covering of an, that mantle, so even, let's say, it's no longer being used. You can't just chuck it in the garbage. 
you even treat the mantle as if it were with dignity. It shouldn't be put on the floor. It shouldn't be disposed of even after it's, it's not in use. Because the fact that it housed the Sefer Torah gives it in itself a level of, of holiness. Okay? So that's a similar concept. So, so, um, so again, as we said from here, so there's many ways we can go with this. I'm, I'm going to try to focus. Doesn't the soul hang around the body until the body's buried? So that's another thing. We're going to get to that in a second. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, that it's also true, but so there is this certain aspect we talk about pain um, to the Gemara seems to imply that those, uh, obviously doesn't mean the body has pain. You know, let's say we talk about autopsies or things like that. So obviously the body doesn't feel pain. The mm-hmm. body's dead. But the fact that the soul does has still, still has mm-hmm. that connection to the body. So the soul is feeling the pain. So if it sees the right. body being mutilated or not being buried for weeks on end, so that mm-hmm. causes um, the Gemara applies uh, some type of pain to the soul. Um, interestingly enough, it talks about that it really has to, in a certain sense, it has to do with how connected a person is to their body um, before they die, meaning a person's into their physicality. Whole life is about uh, their body, you know, and, and how good they look. So then, obviously, when the soul leaves, it's much harder. It says that in itself is painful. Death in itself is painful. Why? Because the soul has to leave the body. If you identify yourself by your body as opposed to by your spiritual part, so then it's a mu- death is much harder for the person because that that soul is, has to disconnect, so to speak, to disconnect. Also, what happens to the body afterwards, obviously, is connected to that, because if you see, you know, if the soul, like you're saying, is, sees what's going on, it's what we believe, at least in Kabbalic sources, Kabbalistic sources, so then you see, uh, you know, the way they're treating your body after death. So if you didn't have such a connection to your body, again, it doesn't mean we're not into health, we're supposed to take care of your body, but I'm saying in a way where everything revolved, or, you know, the Arnold. body. Huh? Arnold. Oh, it's worth an is it good to have the soul around? Bad to have the soul around? No. The, well, it actually says the quicker the soul departs, the better it is. You you want your soul to go on. You don't want it to hang around. It so hangs around right. usually during shiva. There, so till it's buried, the soul can't leave. Right. It's another. That's kabbalistic reason. Um, that's why I always tell. Uh, I always say I want to be buried in Houston because here between the humidity and the fire ants, you know, it's just a matter of time. So it says the soul doesn't leave till the body is decomposed. So I say in Houston, it's like uh, it's just a matter of hours. It's a good place to be buried. You know, it's a it's a very short period. As you it creates say. quite a visual. This contest between the soul and the body. Yeah. So in, so in any case, again, that's more kabbalistic. But there is a concept that clearly when, when we're talking about it, like here, of desecrating the body. The, the Torah seems to apply it even here. You're not even doing an action. Just the fact that it's hanging. The body's hanging in itself is a desecration. Um, so the soul is pained by that. That's what some people say, and um, again, feels pain, whatever that means. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting that this is so highly speculative. You have the reality of a physical body and death. That yeah, I don't, I don't know any religion or human being that's comfortable or understands the concept of death, and you create all this mishigas around death. I wouldn't call it mishigas. Uh, I'm saying well, it's you're right. It's all speculative. We don't right, know. It's all never, speculative. We've never experienced. Because it's so difficult a concept to deal with as human beings. It's difficult to deal with. Also, we we really we only know what the sources tell us. We don't. Most of us are not. But even they can see they're struggling with it. They're coming. Yeah, for sure. But the Torah is very clear. The one thing is very clear that there is a prohibition. There's a few few uh, Torah prohibitions. Amongst them. Um, in any which way degrading a, a human corpse um, and number two is 
an obligation to bury it as quick as possible, in the very same day if possible. And number three, um, then there's a negative prohibition of, yeah, don't leave it overnight. No. It seems like two different authors, the two different sentences. Right, because it, the first no, one says, you shall hang him on a pole, yeah. seems like that's the proper procedure. For an, ex for an execution. Yeah, you execute, In the case of execution. then you hang him. But yeah. then the second one, all of a sudden, is you they go, not just that hanging a corpse is bad, but it's a blasphemy of God. And yeah, So in other words, hanging is not a good thing. Yeah, it no, it's clear there's a dichotomy, 100%. Don't hang yeah, but it says... Oh, it's very clear. It says you should hang him. I don't it says in let me just sentence it. one, you should hang him. Right. And sentence it's a blasphemy. Sentence two, it says it's a blasphemy. No, it's blasphemy to leave him hanging. That's the, yeah. There's a difference. Once he's a corpse. What? Once it's a no, corpse. It's all, no, it's already no, no, a corpse. he's already dead. You only hang no, him no, after no. he's dead. You don't hanging, hang him by killing him. Hanging corpse is a blasphemy. That's what I'm saying. It's... it's no, no, but I'm saying is no, no, no. The we missed the beginning. We only hang him after he's dead. We don't, we don't kill oh, someone oh, you mean by the, hanging. This is it's the not the execution. Stoning, then yes, hang, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't realize oh. the case. Yeah. So, so the, what I'm saying is, it's not a contradiction. It's saying. There's one halacha is when you execute someone who's stoned oh, to death, he needs to be hung. He needs his body right. should be hung. Then, one second, one second. Then the next thing says, right. don't leave him overnight. Don't leave no, him hanging. I, I get that. Because I get that that's kill right? But right. you could read the second as actually saying hanging is not so good. It isn't. That's clearly what it's saying. But I'm saying, but Allah says very clearly, you have to hang him. So My point is that it, it, it might appear there are two authors here. Or it they're conflating been, uh, the two, ink different fell on the page and also two different ideas. And wrote. I'm saying there's a lot of mites, but it's very clear that there's no contradiction in these two verses. It's very clear. One is saying, you need to hang him, and the next one is saying, don't leave him, don't leave him hanging too long, because that's a curse. It doesn't say, don't hang him. If we would say don't hang him, that would be a contradiction. It says hang him, but don't leave him overnight. That's the main thing. And that's the way... That's, that's the way exactly it the way it reads, okay. but okay. Well, uh, it would be safe to say at least the Torah is putting you in an uncomfortable position of hanging somebody and making totally. sure you get it down at the right time. It's a pretty, you know, touch and go, and you got to be very careful it's when you you fulfilled one mitzvah and now you have to avoid committing a sin by leaving them hang two minutes too long. It's not, it doesn't really make sense. They don't directly conflict with each other. Like, no reason to make it into conflict. There's no both. conflict. No, but it's a difficult. Yeah, it's a no, it's very difficult. difficult to I think, it, implement. I think exactly right. that's what the Torah is addressing. You're making it difficult to execute somebody. That could be too. Uh, no, but this is again, this is post execution. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But if you have to, first you execute him, and then you have to do this, and then you have to do oh, that oh, the by whole taking the procedure more. is mixed. Yeah. Right, right. Like, yeah. let's not execute him, or else we'll have to deal with the mission gossip, you know, right, exactly, not hanging too exactly, long. Exactly. Let's just put him oh, away so for yes, life. He pointed out, David pointed out, Jacobson, that they would hang him, because the Torah implies that it's not a good thing to hang, as Ron pointing out. They would do it exactly, you know, right before. Sunset, because you have to take him down by sunset. So the point is to leave him hanging for the least possible time. You're fulf you're fulfilling the mandate of the Torah, but as as in the minimal way possible. That's really what the Torah is implying. So then it's not That's the, the point. a warning to people. Oh, it is. Listen, if someone's hanged in town, you're going to know. Everyone's yeah, going to you know you're going to know about fast. it. It's going to be in the news. It's fast, but it's well, happening. Also, there's just a psychological point of view here. If Jews, you get the sense from the Torah and the Talmud that 
dealing with dead bodies is really a very difficult thing for Jews. You want to bury them, get it over with, put them in the ground. So the very idea that you would have to handle a dead body, hang them up, and then take them down would seem the by its very nature be repulsive to human beings. Which so, is the reason they have every religion the death Exactly. Right? So it would mean like... Well, uh, I don't yeah. know. That's again, that's before that. You, we have to institute if there's rules, you got to do it. Question is, is it just still have, like, you know, if they're if they're following the Torah, right. still tried, there is, you, you're certain sense correct. We tried to get out of executions by making the rules very, you know, very strict. That is true. So that's a valid point. But, but uh, I where I was going with this. So, so again, what the prohibitions or the laws that come from this verse are number one. There's a concept of bizarre, biz, what we call bizayon v'nivol hamet, which means um, desecrating or or uh, mutilating a dead body. Okay, that's one or two, which is obviously where we get to, which is the prohibition of autopsies um, in that context. Tsar causing, uh, again, pain, whatever that means, because clearly there's no pain after death, physical pain, but some type of emotional pain to the nefesh. Ikuv hakura which means that you're delaying the burial, which the Torah says very clearly, bury him immediately that night. They also was learned that from here a prohibition of benefit. Don't you say bury him that night? That's what Torah says. That same day. This guy. We're we're applying it to all. Again, the Talmud says if we have to do it for this guy, surely it applies to all all humans, every not just uh, uh, someone who's executed. Um, so again, so so delaying a burial. Um, there's another thing which I have to I don't remember how we derive it from these verses, but there's something called Isurhana. Um, which means that you can't benefit from a corpse. Um, so, so let's say I don't know what would be. Let's say you're not mutilating the corpse. Let's say you're just gonna use it as a cadaver without cutting it open, just uh, watching. You're looking at it and examining it. Okay, some uh, that's questionable. Actually, we'll get to that case. I'm trying to think of another case where somehow you're gonna benefit from this corpse. Um, I mean, coronal transplants. Yeah, skin transplant. yeah, but that's but that's but that's permitted because pikuach nefesh. I understand, but um, it's so even not pikuach nefesh if you want to. Corneal is not. Uh, no, no. If you want to reconstruct the septal perforation, you can use cadaveric dermis. Right. No okay. Problem. So it's skin grafts. Yes. Well, that's actually an interesting Jewish. thing. There's a truth about that. But skin grafts. No, but I'm talking about some other benefit that's not that's not so, so that's like not for health, saving someone's so health. Like bringing, uh, bringing his Shlomo bringing his father's body in by using the body to carry something, put it on the body, carry the body in. It's yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know the story you're talking about, but it's in you're talking about Malach David? I know. I have to ask your wife. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, yes, I'm saying any type of benefit. Uh, um, uh, maybe example, maybe, but again, that maybe because nefesh. What the, that that that. Uh, Book they used to have they, in medical school. What's that? Uh, everyone the uses the Nazi medicine, the Pernkoff. Oh, Pernkoff's anatomy. Right, Pernkoff's anatomy, which is based on Nazis mutilating Jewish bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, they made a. The Nazis came out with the first good book on anatomy because they had a lot of experimental, a lot of bodies to use. So that might be an example where it's not pikuach nefesh per se. Um, that would be an example you're benefiting. That's the question: Is am I benefiting from that book? Benefiting from the dead, so to speak. Or the the other example would be like those, the, you know, that museum um, where oh, they where skin they the bodies alive. Yeah, right? yeah. They have skin bodies. So we discussed that in the past. The Chinese. Uh, what? The, the Chinese had a the Chinese had a had a 
um, traveling exhibit of like bodies, bodies in the body world. Yeah, yeah like there's the Germans also. There's actually Germans. It all comes from the Germans. There's, uh, there's an interesting case recently where a surgeon was doing a difficult operation, didn't know how to. The anatomy whipped out Pernkoff's anatomy and said that's the best book. And yeah. hey, right. during this operation, he uses the book. I mean, you know, it's a bizarre sort of circumstance. Yeah, but even that case is not so simple, meaning even not that case. Even, even using Pernkov in general, because it's already there, it happened, the book was published. So now if I can use it and gain benefit from it, so I'm not sure that's called benefit. We're talking about literally benefiting from the body. Yeah. Um, so that would be another uh, another uh, prohibition, which, uh, again, I'm not sure how, how it's derived from these verses. Um, okay, so that's all. Taking the hair for wig? Well, problem. not that skeletal yeah. collections and yeah, all sorts that, of things. No, but he's right. No, but I'm uh, saying uh, using there's no problem nevish in a wig. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, right. So that would be a, that would be a great example, right? So you're using the body for non-pickled nevish reasons. Um, if you make wigs out of out of hair, which is done, um, so that that could be a, that would be that prohibition of hanas Um Okay. So so let's start with. Um, uh, Human hair wigs are not cheap, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm aware. I guess the Kaddisha comes out of this, too. You have to treat well, the that's part of, Yeah, I'm saying to do, right, where you have, exactly, that's part of the point. The whole Tara system, everything, yeah, how we how we treat. Okay. You know, we fight about what's mutilating the body. Or, that's what Chavar Kaddisha yeah, so does. Yeah, so, so we, we've discussed in the past. Comes up many times. There's a, this is a seminal response from the Nord Biuda about Fanacha, but, but it's, it's so much more than that as we're going to see. So there's, there are many responses to the questions. So now, in today's day and age, and it's not only today, this is written in the 1700s, the question of autopsy comes up often. Um, today, in Western countries, autopsies in most um, Western countries is a requirement. I mean, it's not, it's law. Um, in, any, in, many, in many cases, or especially if someone dies in a private residence, um, they have the, it's the law that it's a mandatory autopsy is required. In Harris County, the law is, um, I think it's under the age, someone can Google it, under the age of uh, 55 or 60, uh, 61, if someone dies in Harris County in a private residence, there's a mandatory autopsy required. Um, and there's no exemptions for religion. <laughs> so, um, so, so obviously, it's a very important question. This was, and even in the state of Israel, this was a big beef in the beginning of the, in the 50s, um, where the state of Israel required mandatory autopsies, many cases, and there was big fight with the religious and the secular at that point. How how it works? Um, kidnapping of bodies, and there was a lot of stuff going on. They would kidnap bodies from the morgue in order to prevent autopsies. Um, so, so this is a is a big issue, and it comes up now. It's getting somewhat better in the sense of the technology. It's now allowing that many autopsies. If you watch enough CSI, you know that many autopsies can be done just, you know, with imaging today. Many aspects of autopsy. So the question is: So how does it work? When is it allowed? Um, is it is an autopsy considered desecration of a body? Because obviously, it's doing it for a reason to find out the cause of death. Um, and are there exceptions to the rule? When are, when are the exceptions? And the other question, obviously, is going to be when it comes to medical school, as we know, cadavers are used um, to teach doctors how to be doctors. And in order to learn how to, to, to heal, you need to know the anatomy. And they use bodies either donated by science or uh, donated to science, not by science, to science by people 
And how does that work? Can a someone who wants to observe this law of the Torah, where it's we're saying you can't, it's prohibited to desecrate a body, so if you're going to get your cadaver, and, right, and you're going to be cutting it up, and and I uh, heard some stories, horror stories from my brother when he was in medical school, different uh, pranks they used to play with body parts, various battery parts, which we won't get into because it's a family class. So the the uh, clearly there's a desecration of, of bodies taking place um, in any case. Yeah. These, these apply to Jewish bodies? Oh. Not, again, not necessarily, because we're saying if the issue of the desecration of the body, or to treat a body with human dignity, is comes from the source, as Rashi points out, Salam Elohim, so then it would apply across the board. Not only to Jew, um, not only to Jewish bodies. Okay, so so it becomes a big issue. I know in Israel, in I don't know all medical schools, certain medical schools allow religious students to not to just observe and not actually take part in cutting the corpses. Um, so they just they watch it, um, which again that's and, and that's very relevant. Meaning, is that considered or not? That as we said before, just observing is that called. Is that called benefiting or not? Um, if you observe someone cutting up a body, so that's a different question. But, but they do make exceptions. And as, again, I don't know all. I know specific <coughs> medical schools I've heard of. Okay, so so this is if you have it on the sheet, it's very small letters, um, and it's Rashi print. But I'm going to try to read some of it. It's actually I took out this is this abridged version. It's much longer. I just took out sort of the parts of the question and then the answer that I want to focus on. So this is a question written to the No Debuta. His name was Ibi Cheskel Landau, 17-something. He found the Harris County. Okay, can age. Okay. Um, so, so, uh, so actually, before that, I'll just show you. I don't want to embarrass Ronnie, but in 2007, we had a case here in Houston um, where someone... Uh, Long story, someone, it was a suicide, they died in their home and the, they wanted to perform an autopsy and the, the woman called me up and I basically ended up contacting the lawyer. We went to trial against Harris County um, and we won to prevent an autopsy, uh, the autopsy. This was a letter, there's two letters I'm going to point out, Ron's name is on it, actually I don't know if you know your name is on it. It was written on my stationery. Um, this is a letter that we sent at the time to Harris County saying, um, Ron didn't sign up, but his name is on it, yeah. <laughs> bringing up all the old wounds. And so this is a letter written to, to the chief medical examiner at the time. This is before we went to trial, obviously, where we tried to get him to, to stop the autopsy at the time. Um, and uh, just explaining what the problem is. And it didn't work. This letter did not have any effect. No traction, huh? Um, <coughs> Which was a background story? What was wrong with Mr. No names. Well, why was an autopsy considered? So he died in his home, and they, they had to rule out foul play. The question was ruling out foul play. Um, so this was... Uh, that's one letter. Um, again, we, so what happened was, in this case, we... we a, I had a lawyer pro bono do uh, file an injunction, and then after the, injun the injunction was for stopping them from doing it. So, um, so the next morning we went to court to file an injunction with this attorney. His name was Greg Rosenberg. If anyone knows him, interesting fellow unto himself. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, Greg. Shall I? I'm not well. I know where he is. Anyway, so. So, uh, so we went to court. So interestingly enough, I'll just tell you the quick story. Quick version is if you the the way injunction court works 
is all of this injunction for anything. So happens to be there's no injunction judge. The judges in the in the circuit rotate. Um, I think each one gets two two weeks on the, on the court. Different judges happened to be. We had no idea. We walked into the court and judge was late and says on the docket, who's the judge that day? It was by, unbelievable just to show you how I believe how God works, his ways. Um, there wasn't supposed to be, the judge's name was there, wasn't coming, he, he had to leave, so he got another judge to cover it. Happens to be the judge who's covering his, was on my board at the time, you see on the left side, <laughs> um, the left side of the board of directors, it says their honorary, uh, honor, Grant, Grant Dorfman. Dorfman. He happened to walk into the courtroom and was the judge that morning by himself? some divine providence. What? didn't accuse himself? Oh, so, so initially he sees me. So first of all, maybe he was late. And we had to go. We had to make sure that autopsy is going to stop because it's already the second day after the person died. So we... Uh, you heard the story? Sure. Ever heard the story? I think I did, but... Um, awesome story. Anyway, so long story short is the, the guy, he was late. So I happened to have his cell phone number. And so I told the lawyer, listen, I'm calling because we need to make sure if it was going to be delayed any longer, if he wouldn't come. The, they were starting the autopsy that morning. You know, 8 a.m. This was the injunction was scheduled. The courtroom was 8 a.m. So they might have been starting the work. So I said, "Let me call him. I know he is in the gym." I'm gonna. So he said, "No, don't, do not call because that would uh, not be good." Influencing the Yeah. Judge. So anyway, so he walks in. So he says, "Oh, wow, good morning." So we hand him what I was stupidly. We hand him like a, we had spent all night writing the brief, explaining why all that is a problem, according to the Torah, bringing these verses, etc. Um, and uh, so it was like a 20-page uh, document, and this is included in the document. We're handing it to the judge, oh. whose name, name is on the document. <laughs> okay, so so he's going, he's like shuffling through the papers, and then he goes, um, he calls up the bench, he calls the lawyer up the bench, he says, slight problem here, I think this needs, needs to be removed from the evidence. <laughs> so uh, we removed the letter, um, because his name is on it. I happened to be also, I, um, I studied with him, uh, it's a friend of mine. Had him over for Shabbat dinner, so basically he he uh, instituted the injunction. The way the injunction works is um, two things. One, first, <coughs> you have to they have a right, the defendant in this case, Harris County, to fight the injunction and go to trial. So it's their, it's up to them. So you have to, and if they go to trial and they win, you have to pay their attorney fees. So you have to leave a bond for their attorney fees when you file the injunction. So yeah, it's usually like a five thousand dollar bond. So, uh, so <laughs> the lawyer says to the judge, listen, you know, I uh, had a bad night of poker last night. Can you, can you lower the bond? You don't have $5,000. So, uh, first of all, the judge says to me, the rabbi is, are you allowed to play poker according to Jewish law? So, uh, so he said, don't worry, all the earnings go to Beth Sharon and Torch. It's fine. Um, all the poker earnings. Anyway, long story short, he gave us a $5 um, bond. And I came down to the window to pay the bond like she had never, she said, what? Never seen the five dollar bond in her life, whatever. Anyway, so then we thought, great, with a high five, we stop at the injunction, no problem. As we're walking out of the courtroom, as we're walking out of the courthouse, the lawyer gets a, a call from the judge saying that they, they are we're going to trial at three o'clock. They decide the county wants to go to trial. Long story short, so he was. We went to trial. We were going that afternoon. We they came came back at three o'clock to the courthouse. They had, uh, they came with five attorneys, I believe. Of course, two of them were Jewish. Um, the, the county came with five attorneys. And uh, we had this one guy, pro bono, <laughs> who never does know anything about... Uh, who was it? Greg Rosenberg. 
I'm saying he doesn't road. know anything about criminal law. I mean, he's a he's a labor attorney. <laughs> anyway, make a long story short. So the judge starts. He before the trial starts, he calls every, all the parties over to the bench and says, um, "I'm good. I need to disclose that I'm a good friend of Rabbi Grossman's. Seems like I'm, I'm not a defendant, really a family." He seems like he's integral to the case, and I need to let you know. You can request another judge. Now he he gets to the side if he has to recuse himself. I Meaning it's the well, judge's the judge, prerogative. It's the judge's. But problem. he has to disclose it. If they request another judge, then he has to decide should he recuse himself or not. Mm-hmm. So basically, they, so he said, I'm going to give her a ten-minute recess, and you guys can decide if you want to continue with me or you want to request another judge. So I went out uh, ten minutes. I was like, having a saying to him, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and basically they, they came back and they said, no, we want to proceed. So, it was, which was, again, it was unbelievable uh, um, what happened. The fact, I mean, forget the fact that he knows me, that's a sad fact, but uh, <laughs> it's this not relevant to the to case. the body publicly. <laughs> okay, so no, but the point was he happened to be that this judge, Grant Dorfman, wrote articles about um, religious cases versus the government. Um, he know a lot about it. Most judges don't know too much about it. It's constitutional law. It's really not, you know, it's not something that they know a lot about. He happened to write, literally, he wrote like three or four articles on this topic, and we also gave a class with me about it. Silly. <laughs> about, uh, so long story short, so, he, so what happened was, because they came with all these precedent cases where, you know, the peyote case and this, different cases where religion, where the government won over religion. And he was able to knock all of them down um, in the trial and show why they're not comparable to this case. And he ruled... Um, Dorfman was, not Dorf- Rosenberg. Yeah, Dorfman. Yeah, Rosenberg knew nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, so the judge was able to show why all the cases that they brought, the presidents were not relevant to our case, and he ruled that the autopsy should be stopped, should not be done in this case. Um, <laughs> Okay, but How does they want the autopsy so bad? Uh, so, uh, so because listen, they have they they don't have it. once you have once you open the can this can of religion, so then every everyone's going to say you have Muslims, you have Jews, you have I mean it's good, you know they'll lose their job. I mean they have to have something to do every day. Yeah, I'm saying no, I'm saying they need to keep busy. Uh, they, you know Harris County does something like uh, 200 autopsies a day or something. It's like you wouldn't you'd be, you'd be shocked how many. I mean, so all these a lot of people working there. They need uh, work. So once you open this can of worms in religion, so it it and, and it becomes a precedent. So therefore, so even after they unique, lost, so there was nothing unique about the case. It was the 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 the, the corpus, the body of law involved with it. Yeah, I think they would just once you have a law in the books, a precedent that allows exceptions for religion. So then it opens up this whole new thing for them. So okay. b- bottom line is they it's still under appeal by the way. This is 2007. They never they didn't because of their concern they didn't want it to become precedent. So they appealed it. It's, it's on its fourth appeal. The body by the way is buried in we sent it specifically out of state because we knew they're going to try to exhume the body. So we would we were advised to send it we buried it was buried in California. They actually got permission to at one point to exhume the body from California, bring it back to Harris County, um, and we had to get it stopped there. It was, I mean, don't it? So it's still officially under appeal. This yeah. case was never um, um, there was no precedent. It's still officially under appeal. This is another letter to show you quickly. Um, it was sent by a national organization to the Harris County, threatening them, which I think this is what it wasn't a good thing. It got them angry. The preventing desecration of the body is more important than burial by. Sunset. 
Oh, well, what does that mean? They wouldn't have done, they, if you, they wouldn't have done uh, another letter, read this letter. The, the, um, they wouldn't have buried the body that day, either way. I mean, if it would have been an autopsy, you know, totally they, they do it, and uh, it takes, you could, they could hold on the body for three, four days, five days. Yes, but in either case, for sure, anything, that's a very important point you're making. Meaning, what happens, we're saying don't delay burial. Why? Because that's, you want to give, it's a, it's a desecration to the deceased. If, and this is very important, you delay burial for the honor of the deceased, so that's fine. So, for example, to prevent an autopsy, you're delaying the burial. That's, that, that would be okay, because you're not delaying the burial, it's not a denigration in that case, on the contrary. You know, for example, another thing that Allah says, if, if you have family members who can't make it to the funeral, or you know, if, I, if I do the funeral at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, no one's going to be able to make it. If I, we wait till tomorrow, you're going to have a thousand people at the funeral, so you're allowed to do that. That's a, the Shulchan Aruch says very clearly, because in that case, the delay is for the honor of the deceased, so that's, uh, that's fine. The whole concept here is you're denigrating the body. So if you're doing anything for the honor, that would be okay. So again, preventing an autopsy would be considered the honor of the, of the corp. Okay, so, so, okay, so now getting back to the no debut there. So the no debut, again, this was a question written in, again, I don't remember exactly, I don't know what year, it doesn't say the year, but he lived somewhere in the seven, late 1700s. Um, he was the chief rabbi of Prague um, at the time. And he, uh, the, here, this one. So the question was like this, it was written that the uh, responsum was written from London to Prague, I guess. He was in Prague and it says, Tshuva Lechvodava, gives him the titles, this person who wrote the Tshuva. Um, um, let me just get, I can't read it myself. So it says, from Kila Kedosh in London, there was a story I'm in the fourth line um, he says in a story that happened there he had some type of stones I don't know what kiso means either his bladder it's a gallbladder, gallbladder. it's stones in the gallbladder gallbladder stones basically um, and the rofim cut him open as they usually do they did surgery his while he was alive with this type of illness right yeah Gallbladder, mm-hmm. stones, gall stones. The low also like trufa and didn't work with mace, the guy died. The initial Usham Chachmeir, now the the elders of the city, the wise people of the city are asking him, Mutter Lachtoch, the Gufa Mace, can they cut open the body, in this spot? Kidei Liros, Bimofis, Shoresh Amaka, to see where the source of the illness came from, Azos, Kidei Lis Lamed Mizer, to learn from it. How doctors should treat this? I don't know the history of gallstones and when, when it started and what they knew at that time in the 1700s, but clearly they wanted to learn more about it, so they wanted to cut open this body in order to learn more Is about it possible it's bladder source. stones, Ron? Could be, I guess. Keys. I think bladder stones were known before gallstones. Interesting. Keister stones. <laughs> I don't know. Keys is just a pocket. Uh, pocket. So it could be it could be bladder, could be gallstones. I don't know. What's the difference? Yeah, which ones are more dangerous? In your gallbladder, bladder. Which ones are more dangerous? Bladder. Which are more more problematic? Yeah, I mean they used sounds in the 1700s for for bladder stones. Yeah. Exactly. Sounds. So I think I'm. I think probably was bladder. What sounds? A, a sound is is. is a piece of metal that you put into the bladder 
And if it goes clunk, you know, something. Yeah, it sounds, it's from the sound it makes. So he came, it's surgical, from the other. No, did it surgi- not surgical. Oh, not surgical. Ah, that I mean, sounds even scarier. There's a procedure, but it's uh-huh. not. There's no cutting involved. There's no cutting involved. Right. I think okay. there was at one time that bandaging the, the um, okay. gallstones are probably a thousand times more common than bladder stones. And maybe the fact that uh, they, have to, they were had, maybe no, the fact I, that they're trying to learn from him now, shows it wasn't now, common. Oh yeah, now they are. The fact that they're trying to learn from him maybe yeah. means it wasn't so common. They didn't know enough about. It. So maybe they're know. trying to learn, but the treatment is more likely than uh, diagnosis. Yeah. Who knows? Gout was about a thousand times more frequent back then. I mean. Okay, so let's, so let's see. So he says, um, so, he, um, so again, they, the doctors would like to learn. The fourth line of that paragraph, for future use, they have a case like this. How they should um, do the surgery, the, the cutting at for the sake of healing. Um, and not to cut too much, I guess, in the wrong place. To decrease the danger of the surgery. Is there a problem, a prohibition from the Ispay Nivol because that's a desecration and a, uh, a mutilation of the body. Oh, do you say that? Oh, you mutter. Or do you say it's permitted? Because from this action, they're going to save lives. In the future, they'll be able to perform the surgery in a more, um, uh, in a better way. I'll tachli say and achieve better results. So that was the question. So he's saying, even though we know there's a prohibition in the Torah of mutilation of a body, but the fact that this will in the future save lives, that would should be a reason to allow it. So v'amater atzalumod mechanita. So he wants to bring proofs. He says the one that the rabbi is writing him permitted from the fact that we embalmed bodies. You see in the Torah, they embalmed Yaakov and Yosef when they took him out of Egypt, etc. So that's one of his proofs. Um, and he brings, he brings different proofs to the end in that paragraph. Um, so he, so the, in order to view that, we're not going to go through the whole thing. I skipped out some parts where he says the embalming has nothing to do with that. That's not a proof. Again, that was might have been for the honor of the maids to keep him intact until they buried him out of Egypt. Also, was at the request of the person, which is an interesting concept to use. If a person requests to donate something his body to science, something that you're not allowed, right? No, it's usually we we try another aspect uh, in Jewish stats is we try to honor the res- the request of the person of the deceased. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's also a concept. So the question is, if the deceased requests to donate by design, so in this case, you know, so he's saying the embalming is not approved. But if anything. they ask for something forbidden, yes, yes, so that's a problem. Yeah, but in any case, that's that's what he goes through. Then, so it's an interesting thing. So he goes um, the next paragraph. He says the rabbi brings a proof from the Gemara and Chulin. So this is a fascinating Gemara. Worth seeing. I don't have it printed out for you. But I'll just read it to you. Chulin, you listen to this. Listen to this Gemara. Yud Aleph on day. Maran Kulin here is discussing the source for how we know different sources that majority rules in halacha. That we go with the majority. Whenever halacha has an issue of majority, we go with the majority. So there's a, it's actually an explicit verse in the Torah, Achri Rabbim Lahatos, that you go with the majority, but that's in a court case. So the Gemara is discussing various aspects. Um, yeah. Just historically, I thought it was correct. The Hippocratic oath mentions specifically cutting for stones, meaning bladder stones. Okay. Right, says so don't do it, but they were aware of it, as were Egyptians. I think gallbladders, gallstones came along later. 
How much later? This is not so much later. It's 1700s. It's not so late. No, but the Hippocratic Oath is 400. No, no, I understand. So, you know, you're not proving as to what we're talking about here. I don't know. Well, also, I don't think cholecystectomies or surgical treatment of stones that they used to do is drain stones. They would put in a a tube and drain stones, which had a lot of complications. (coughs) But I'm not even sure that was done in the 1700s. No, I bet it wasn't. Okay, so someone needs to look at a medical history book. Okay, so now, so another source. So the Gemara brings here um, an interesting source, a very strange story. The Gemara says, I'll, I'll bring you proof that you go with the majority. Why? Because how can we, uh, relevant to executions actually, it says, how can we ever execute someone? Um, the halacha is if someone murders someone, it's a capital crime, Jewish law, Torah law, so, so you execute the murderer, assuming again, very hard to do that with witnesses, etc. Um, the criteria is met, so then it's capital punishment. So the Gemara says, Allah is, if you kill a trefa, that means someone who's terminally ill, who's going to die within the next 12 months, there's no capital punishment in that case. Because they're somewhere... Oh, so you'd want to do an autopsy. So I had, oh. look, he had cancer and he exactly. was going to die. Exactly. Says the Gemara, so how could we ever kill someone, execute someone for murder? Maybe the person he killed was a trefa. Okay, why don't we, notice again, where this is the liberal Judaism coming out. The Talmud. Take off early, I'm so um, sorry. This is getting to the liberal Talmud. Right. No, I know, it's, I, I, I love it. I love okay, it. so meaning, let's get him off the hook. The person he killed might be a traitor. some ear stones. And therefore, stones. and therefore, yeah. we can't execute him. So says the Gemara, so Asim Ahargis Nefesh, I'll bring you proof from the fact that the murdered person, the Amrachman Akatha, the Torah says, execute him, a murderer. Maybe the person he killed was a traitor, and therefore we have no right to execute the murderer. Right? That's the Gemara's question. El Lav, so the Gemara says, Mishum Damrinon, it must be because we say Zil Basaruba. We go with the majority. Majority of people are not traitors, are not terminally ill. And therefore, it must be, that's why the Torah says you can execute a murderer is because the assumption is that he's not a traitor based on majority, based on rove. So that's the Gemara says. You see a proof from the Torah that you go with the majority. Says the Gemara, no, you have no proof. Um, maybe we check him out. We give him a full physical. The uh, Meaning, uh, sorry, the mace, no, not physical. We can't. An autopsy. Go, they had autopsies in those days too. Um, maybe we examine the victim after he's murdered to ascertain whether he's a traitor or not. We cut him open, check his lungs, we check his, uh, his brain, we check, and make sure that he has no terminal illness. He had no terminal illness. Okay, so says the Gemara, we can't do that, you're defiling him. You know, we know it's prohibited to do autopsies. So you can't say that there's a mandated autopsy for the, for the victim to ascertain whether he's a traitor or not. So, it's, so again... Oh, that's the Gemara. Good question. Of course. Yes, that's the that's Gemara's question. So the Chitema says the Gemara Mishim Ibn Neshama. But it's the opposite of Pekorach Nefesh. No, you're saving. We want to kill the guy. No, that's the question. Do we want to kill him? Do we want to kill him? Right. Are you liberal or conservative? Right. The liberals don't want to kill him because they want to kill him. So this is the debate here. It's a fascinating question. Chitema Mishim Ibn Neshama Dahai. Maybe you'll say because the murderer stands to lose his life. So Nunavale, we have a right to perform an autopsy. So says the Gemara, this is show you how liberal Jews were even in those days. Um, says the Gemara, Venechush, no, that's, your autopsy is not going to help. Because wherever you're going to cut him, he says, you know, so okay, I didn't find the lungs, I didn't find any problem in his, in his heart. Right, everything was good. But Nechushem of Makam Saif Nekafu, the place where the guy, you know, uh, shot him, 
in that place he might have had an injury, prior injury. It's possible, right? The guy uh, decapitated him with the sword. So he might have had, he might have been uh, the guy, you know, he might have some injury on in his neck before that, that you're not going to see in your autopsy because, because the sword was in the same place. <laughs> so that's what the Gemara says. Again, clearly we're not, we don't like excellence. Um, right. So again, so that's what the Gemara says. Let us be concerned that perhaps the place where the murderer's sword stabbed the victim was already a fatal wound from before. And that's why he... Okay, so therefore, um, so we conclude, so this is again, um, that, that we, we see from here that uh, from the Torah, the Gemara is bringing this as a proof, we go with the majority. We assume that he's not a traitor. Because even at all times, he's not going to help you to ascertain whether he was a traitor or not. Well, that's certainly a blow to forensic medicine, saying that the autopsy <laughs> can't help clarify the situation. Because of death, right. It's not going to necessarily tell yeah. you, which is, which is true. So one of the things, by the way, we argued in the trial was uh, at the end of the day, we, that's at least one of the things the lawyer tried to use, was that you, are you ever 100% certainty in your cause of death? So not you're saying, we have to rule out foul play, you have to rule out, no, that we need, it's mandatory, they were saying, the, the, the county's argument was, we have to do it because suspicion of foul play. So first of all, we said, like, well, there's no suspicion of foul play, there was medicine bottles there, it was clear what happened, how he was found, we had pictures, I mean, there was no question of foul play. Okay, was, we got a, I called, actually, Dr. Reichman was a psychiatrist, they got Dr. Reichman to come and write a letter that this guy was suicidal and everything, I mean, there was no well, question, handled, he was depressed. And well, he handled the appeals, which lawyer handled the appeals for you? Right, everything was great. He did, he did all. So, uh, no charge, never charge was sent. I had to meet the family, it was very nice, we had a reunion. Anyway, the point is, so, I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, so one of the arguments of the lawyer was that, can you ever ascertain the cause of death, really? You can't. Actually, he didn't use this Kamara, but this well, is really what we say. Right, you can never sure. be 100% sure of cause of death, no matter what. Who so was using that argument? My lawyer. My, yeah, my, okay. Their lawyer. Greg Rosenberg. So Even if a person is elderly and you know has disease and they die, they still need to know No, something? no. If, uh, again, under the age, I don't know if it's 61, 55, under a certain age. Under certain age. Unless it's suspicion of foul play, and even right. above the age. If there's a window broken, I just had a case, another case recently, an old elderly woman in her 70s, she lived alone, she never married, and uh, they found her. It's crazy, because she was missing for a few days, so finally someone said, we need to get in. Called a relative, they, they, so they, they had no way to get in, so they broke a window to get in. So then, when the county came, said, now we have to do an autopsy, because it's a broken window. Sign of foul play. So even though they broke the window in to do the welfare check, but because they broke a window, they said now it's, it could be foul play. If there was no broken window, they wouldn't have required nothing. It's also an issue of elder so abuse. It was like in the 70s, upper 70s, 80s. It's an issue of elder abuse, which is causing more autopsies because right. they suspect. So no, they need to do. They want to do an autopsy, whatever. You know, anytime someone sneezes, they need to. They need to do an autopsy. They want to make that's part of the job. So bottom line is, so the based well, no, on they just out, want first right of refusal. Yeah, no, they, but they never refuse. They no, always they want do. to do. They refuse really a lot. <laughs> they refuse know. a lot. I never had a case where they refused. We had another. Remember, we had a case that I yeah. hired you. We, we had a case where they refused. They said they have to do it. It was a guy well, died in his house. Young guy guys in his fifties. So this guy, um, I got Alan. When I got them to agree, the most I can get them to agree was that we should have. I want to be there. A physician should be there because they agreed to do it minimally invasive autopsy where they're only cutting as little as possible, they just want to check one thing, and they're going to only take out fluids. So I said, I, want, I don't trust you, I want a physician in the room at the time. So Alan went, but you stood behind the curtain, they made you stand behind the curtain. 
He really didn't see anything anyway. Stand behind a curtain. But, you know, see, that's not true. I, One I, second. Maybe yeah, what's, tell us about it. I wasn't, you were there. I mean, they did a normal autopsy, but you could see from his arm, you know, he had cellulitis all up and down his arm. He was a chiropractor. He was treating himself. Kept getting worse and worse and worse. Then he obviously got, you know, septicemia and died. No, but I'm saying, well, what happened to the autopsy? Was well, it, did they do? They, they claimed they were going to do minimally evasive. That they was they open them up and you know, they did. They didn't. Piece of heart. Yeah, they. They little, did everything. Did they? Did they completely they took destroy everything it? Everything up. They no, but they, we have to take out each organ and weigh it. They didn't do anything they said they would do. That's what I'm saying. You can't trust them. Well, you know, I have to say, over the course of my career, and this is what Russ has to say, too, I had at least a dozen patients who died at home. And they all, I all got, always got a call from the coroner's office saying, are you willing to cite the cause of death? And I say, yeah, I knew him well. The guy had cancer or whatever, heart disease. And they never did an autopsy. Well, I don't know. Well, did you ever have those? Talking about Mexican patients? Patients never died. No, I. I talking I, about Mexican patients? No, patients who died and at, at home. what age? Again, depends what age they are. It's um, true. I don't know specifically right, so what if age. They're but under, I mean, if they're no, over but 55, I, I, they'll. I for sure out. have had patients under the age of under the age of 50. In, in, well, in, in the emergency room. No, so every state is different. What the, every county has different mandates of what, to, so it could be uh, somewhere else. I've never had a case where the. Listen, there are many uh, states now that have that have laws on the book that allow religious exemptions. Well, Texas is not yet there. Maryland, New York, they all have religious exemptions for autopsies. No, I'm saying as a general rule, at least in my experience, they weren't demanding autopsies. They were saying, yeah. if you're willing to sign a death certificate, no problem. So again, if it's an obvious case, in a case where like a suicide, where like that, so that's where where there's where there's a concern and also depends on their load that they they have a big load that week they have five uh, people I've had suicides too and they still been through autopsies hey, you don't know how do you know what happened because you know. the coroner's office calls right they always call but it doesn't mean they're not going to do an autopsy no they call no, they, they call, call it for like cause of death they, they tell you if you're willing to sign it. the desk if there's no autopsy right, right. Okay. They, they okay, so I don't know every case I've had at least five six cases over the last since 2007 and we always had problems um, of preventing all those. Um, so, I mean, you always had a fight. Die, Russ? It could be specifically <laughs> because of religious Central reasons. medicine, too. I can treat diabetes. <laughs> and it could be because of religious reasons they, they want to fight, meaning Explain. because they don't want a precedent of an exemption for religious reasons. So that's why, that's why by the way, well, that letter... Those cases you would know about. Right, so I'm saying that's why that letter, by the this way, which is a bad idea. bias. Yeah. yeah. So it's very possible that I mean, letter that was sent like this with a by this national organization um, was actually a problem because they, before, no, it's meaning, originally we tried to negotiate them and they were talking to us. Once they got this letter, which was threatening them, saying, if you do this, we're going to take court action. So that's when they got... They weren't happy about that. So, so they don't like Anyway, okay, we're going to have to continue next week. But, uh, but there's a fascinating truth. Again, there, there are exemptions. I had another case of a guy who shot himself in his office and I actually called to ask a question because the daughter called me up. A guy put a gun to his mouth in his, in his office. Shai killed himself, 50 year old fellow. And I called, they wanted to do an autopsy. The daughter called me because I prevent the autopsy. I became the go to person, unfortunately. <laughs> so I get all these phone calls now. And uh, what happened was, in that case, I called to ask a question. The rabbi said, he was going through a messy divorce. This time. And uh, and the rabbi said, in that case, you have to allow the autopsy. You're going to see because if his it's... His wife could kill him. Because it could be his wife. No, if there's real cause for <laughs> foul play, concern of foul play, play, so then I, you have to let that on the contrary. We want the autopsy done. So he said, don't fight it. 
Um, so, uh, so you need to get another case.